0: This is Toby Manhire with a special bonus one off mini extra gone by lunchtime edition. Shortly before midnight last night, on Thursday the 8th of September, Buckingham Palace uh, put out a statement and it said following further evaluation this morning, the Queen's doctors are concerned for Her Majesty's health and have recommended she remain under medical supervision. End quote. And it was pretty clear from that statement, I happened to be awake um, for all my sins when that came out just before midnight. And that's language they don't normally use. The doctors are concerned. Um, and, And at the same time, the Queen's eldest son and heir to the throne, Prince Charles, his siblings, his wife Camilla, Prince William, a whole lot were heading on up to Balmoral Castle in Scotland where the Queen has been, of recent times, that's where she received Liz Truss and uh, swore her in as prime minister just the other day. Prince Harry even was on his way up there. And so, look it was pretty it was pretty clear that it was very serious at that point. And then, uh, when we woke up this morning uh, on Friday, New Zealand time, the, there was the news: the Queen had died, ninety six years old. After an amazing, really, 70 years, 214 days on the throne, her firstborn, Charles, um, sprightly 73 years old, succeeds her and has become king. He will have his um, formal coronation in the days ahead. There's a period of mourning. Tributes have uh, flowed, as you would expect, led by Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand and the Governor-General, Cindy Kiro. Um, and, you know, while you might not guess it from the welter of coverage that the royals normally get, the monarch is, is a kind of important integral maybe, certainly uh, important uh, figure right at the top there of our, of our political apparatus in Aotearoa in New Zealand. Um, Queen Elizabeth is or was our head of state and as of now our head of state is King Charles Third. Um, to talk about all that, and uh, we didn't quite get on to Megan and Harry, but we'll do that next time. Uh, we called up Professor Andrew Geddes. Um, he teaches law at Otago University, is an expert on constitutional matters and uh, knower of many things. We'll hit play on that conversation now, but first, a big thanks to spin-off members for making this podcast possible, and thank you to Te Aihe Butler, Butler, uh, our magnificent producer. Kia ora, Andrew Geddes.
1: Yeah, kia ora, Toby.
0: Um, thank you for coming on this special mini Gone by Lunchtime. Uh, we're talking about the... The death of the Queen, but more generally about what it means in terms of New Zealand's constitutional setup, and we might touch a bit on the Republican push as well. Let's start off by talking about the head of state. Jacinda Ardern is sometimes described as the head of state, and that's just plain wrong. The Governor-General is sometimes described as the head of state, and that's closer to the truth. In fact, the head of state in New Zealand is the hereditary monarch uh, based in the United Kingdom. Yesterday, the head of state was Elizabeth II. Today, the head of state is Charles III, which we're just starting to get our heads around and our mouths around. What does that mean, Andrew Geddes? What is a head of state, and where does it fit in our kind of uh, constitutional uh, constellation?
1: Yeah, so the, the head of state is the sovereign in right of New Zealand, uh, to, get, to give them their sort of formal title. Mm. Uh and the sovereign plays kind of a weird role in our constitutional setup. In Sort of in formal terms, if you just look at sort of what's written on the paper, mm. uh, everything flows down from the sovereign. So the sovereign appoints the governor-general, as they are represented in New Zealand. The governor-general appoints the prime minister to head ahead the government. Uh, the sovereign is the one who signed Acts of Parliament into law. Uh, the sovereign has the power to conduct treaties with other countries and so on and so on. So if, if you look just at sort of the written you know, on the paper powers, the sovereign uh, is in essence you know at the head of everything. Gets gets to run everything. Mm. Of course, in reality, the way the system actually works is that the sovereign, the, the you know the, whoever happens to be the king and queen of England at any given time. Uh, is, is a bit of a puppet figure. They they must always do what they're told by the elected politicians in New Zealand. That's one of the core, what's called constitutional conventions, the mm. rules of the game. Mm. And if they were ever to try to do anything different, uh, we just kick them out and get rid of them, and that would be republic straight right there and then. So the, the, the head of state uh, is the sovereign of New Zealand. The sovereign plays this role uh, in our constitution as kind of, in theory, at the head of everything in practice, a kind of puppet uh, figurehead who uh, continues to uh, exercise certain powers, but only as they're told to do so by the democratically elected uh, representatives of New Zealand. And, of course, in practice also, while the sovereign, you know, is the king and queen of England, their local representative, the governor-general, is the one who actually does the day-to-day work, the one who actually Mm. fills in the formal role in the country.
0: And that that, that Governor-General, as you mentioned, is formally appointed by the King or Queen, but in practice,
1: not. Quite. So the Governor-General is whoever the Prime Minister of New Zealand tells the King or Queen of England, I want you to appoint this person as our local representative. And the King or Queen goes, yep, well, you know, who am I to do anything different? I must follow your advice and just goes ahead and does that.
0: The Governor-General however, does have a bit more, uh, I suppose, practical power, don't they? And and we don't see it exercised an awful lot, but it's mm-hmm. kind of there in reserve. I mean, Australia, of course, had that 1975 mm-hmm. constitutional crisis. Is that the way, way to describe it? Where where Whitlam was dismissed by the Governor-General. Um, I forget his name. Yeah. That sort of thing could, at least in theory, happen here, couldn't
1: it? Uh, uh, yeah, well, look, so... As I said, in legal terms, in formal terms, it's the Governor-General as the representative of the sovereign Hmm. who appoints the Prime Minister. It also appoints individual ministers to their office. Now, after each election, it's clear who the Prime Minister ought to be. It's whoever the majority of members of Parliament give their support to. And the the Governor-General automatically appoints whoever that person is as Prime Minister. And then once you've got a prime minister, the governor-general automatically appoints whoever the prime minister says ought to be a minister to be a minister. There is the potential for there to be a situation where you could have someone who's a serving prime minister, Hmm. and because the coalition that they're leading falls apart, it then becomes a question, are they actually supported by a majority in the House or not? Or you could have an election where, and you know, this is entirely possible, with 120 MPs, you get a 60 sixty split, hmm. and it's just not clear, well, you know, no one's got majority support. In those sort of situations, the governor general holds what's called the reserve powers of the crown. The governor general can independently say, look, because it's not clear which Uh, political figure has majority support in the House of Representatives, I have no option but to step in and kind of act independently, sack the Prime Minister, call for a new election, something along those lines. Now, that's never happened in New Zealand. Um, It would only happen in New Zealand in the most extreme of circumstances, where basically the House of Representatives can't sort the issue out for itself. And if it ever did happen, uh, it would be a legitimate constitutional crisis. It would be kind mm-hmm. of whoa—the mm-hmm. rules of the game just don't apply here. And in that
0: scenario, however unlikely, yeah, sure, uh, the Governor General is, an, is w- wouldn't uh, defer to or even consult with the King or Queen in Buckingham Palace, would they, or might they?
1: No, no, no. So, the, so the Governor General wouldn't ring up. Well. Governor General might put in a courtesy call to Child yeah, as it yeah. is now and sort of say, Look, you know, I, I'm in this real problematic state, and I, as your representative, am letting you know what the situation is. But the uh, the idea that Child would then say, Well, actually, Cindy, or whoever happens to be the Governor General, you know, I independently happen to think that rather you ought to do blah 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 mm. I mean, that would be pretty unfathomable, really. I mean, the reality is New Zealand. As New Zealand it has its own problems its own individual kind of ways of doing things, and there, you just cannot see a circumstance in which a king or queen sitting in London would try to trump the local representative
0: we've we've um, we 've all watched the uh, exacting political documentary the Crown of course <laughs> so we know yeah. a thing or two is it fair to say that the involvement of the monarch of the day is more involved in uh, British politics in Westminster than uh, our Governor-General is here? Or how does that work?
1: Well, I mean, it would be hard to, um, you know, extrapolate because you know, each Governor-General may have kind of a slightly different way of doing things. Mm. I, I mean, I don't want to make out that the Governor-General is just a absolute, you know, rubber-stamp figurehead. The Governor-General does have what's called an advisory capacity, which is, you know, can sometimes say to a the elected politicians, okay, I hear you're advising me to do this, but you really want me to do it? Mm-hmm. Really? And especially where the Governor-General is asked to be asked to do something, where there are legal constraints. So, for instance, creating regulations under Acts of Parliament may require the Governor-General's signature. But the Governor-General could only create regulations if the Act of Parliament allows him or her to do so. Hmm. So it may be that a minister might say to the Governor-General, under this Act, I want you to create this regulation. And the Governor-General may say, well, are you really sure the Act lets me do that? I mean, are you absolutely certain I have the legal power to do this? And if they're told, yeah, you do, well, then they'll go ahead. But they can, you know, have that kind of checking, you know, you really want me to do this. And then if they're told, yeah, they have to. But um, in terms of the kind of thing that you saw in the Crown, where you saw the Queen kind of almost trying to lead the government in one direction or another, Hmm. that, I suspect, doesn't happen in the same way, Um, because the Governor-General remember, serves one, maybe two terms at most. They don't have 70 years of kind of, you know, familiarity and kind of uh, security to be able to fall back on, and also, you know, the Queen, the bloody Queen, right? (laughs) Uh, which is slightly different to a representative who happens to be sitting in another country.
0: And no corgis. That's another
1: well, yeah, I mean, um, you know, important consideration. Know the like, yeah, Look, yeah.
0: there's been, there's been, and, and the, this morning, understandably, there's a, there's a sense that there needs to be a period of, uh, of, of mourning and, and of respect. And, uh, there's sort of a ceasefire, a cessation of hostilities in terms of the Republican versus monarchist debate. But I feel like we're kind mm-hmm. of coming to the end of that. And if you, and if, and if, and if it does offend your sensibilities, then feel free to turn off this podcast. Now, but Andrew, what is the? Let's start on. Let's start on the the, the monarchist side. I mean, you've just described uh, what is looks for the most part to be uh, uh, a collection of figureheads, a sort of a sort of ornamental system, an important one that has some reserve powers, admittedly. Given that. It's important, and but given that most of our consumption of royal news seems to be on a <laughs> non-constitutional level um, in, the, in terms of the roles of Meghan and Harry and whatnot. But given all of that, what is the argument for a constitutional monarchy, for a hereditary monarchy? What is the, what is the, what is the argument that is put in defence of keeping a system that ostensibly seems, I suppose, you know, wafer-thin?
1: Well, it's worked pretty well. Hmm. You know, I mean, I think that's probably the strongest argument is, look, you know, it's a system we've run under in New Zealand, you know, ever since we got independent nation status and uh, started to be able to appoint our own people as the governor general and all that sort of thing. Uh, And it's led to frequent transfers of power in a peaceful manner. It's led to a pretty settled political system that's not prone to crises. Hmm probably you could say the strongest thing about it is that you've got a head of state, be it the queen, king, or their local representative, who knows their place and knows that their place is essentially uh, a figurehead one that is, you know, to be directed by the elected officials uh, and the people's representatives and doesn't go off and try to do their own things. You don't have that risk of there being a power tussle at the top that could exist if you had a president or someone, you know, who feels, well, actually, you know, I've got my own independent basis for doing what I want. Therefore, mm-hmm. I can sort of, you know, try to get my own way. So I think the very strongest argument for it is, you know, aside from questions of tradition, aside from questions of, you know, uh, colonial linkages, aside from questions of history, a simple, well, look, it's worked pretty damn well. And in matters of the Constitution where you've got, you know, basically you're trying to run a country in a way that, um, you know, in the first place, doesn't screw up. Well, you, you, know, you seem to have a system was working pretty well.
0: Charles Mountbatten, Windsor, mm-hmm. spring chicken, septuagenarian. Mm. <laughs> um, he's an interesting fish, isn't he? Uh, he he, mm. he has been, I suppose, more vocal on a lot of issues. There were the black spider letters that kind of emerged um, in mm. 2015. There was mm. just, just recently it was reported that he had a go at Boris Johnson's government over its... Um, over its policy to send asylum seekers to Rwanda. He called that appalling. Mm. I think he's right. Mm. I also Mm. think it's a little troubling when he starts getting involved in matters of uh, government policy. There was a book that came out recently, um, co-written by Geoffrey Palmer, the former Prime Minister, and uh, Gwen Palmer-Steeds. And it had an interview with Jacinda Ardern in it. And Jacinda Ardern said of her interactions with the Queen that she heard from her from time to time, she said of Charles. I've spoken to Prince Charles on a number of issues. He's incredibly interested in what we do on environmental issues, Mm. very engaged. And I Mm. read that and I was troubled by that (laughs) because Mm. he has acknowledged that he's he's on the record as saying he will not be interventionist. He will continue in the Mm. traditions of his mum. Mm. Um, But there is that risk. And I think it's quite a strong argument for a moving towards a republic just because that risk exists, that he decides I don't approve of this thing that's going on, I'm just going to get the Prime Minister on the phone and then, then we're in trouble, aren't we?
1: Well I mean it would be interesting to see A, if he does do that. I mean it's, it's one of these sort of things, I mean when you, if you think about child's life, it must have sucked, right? I mean, he spent all this time <laughs> in his mum's shade, mm. sort of just waiting. Mm. And he must have got just bored out of his tree. Mm. You know, you're you're on the bench, you're on the bench, you're on the bench, you're always just waiting, waiting, waiting. And so you can sort of see why he maybe has got a little bit, you know, well, why not sort of flex my muscles and say what I sort of think on matters because it doesn't really matter because mum's there forever anyway. Mm. And, you know, once you step up to, like, the big job, um, then I think the pressure really does sort of come to much more on to sort of no, 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 you're no longer Charles with your views, you are the king and Go step in the background. So I think we need to note that. The second thing is, even if he was to decide that he wanted to you know, pick up the phone and have a phone call with Jacinda or Todd or whoever it is that we have next, um, uh, the, um, the way in which that would be handled, I think would be that the Prime Minister would say, well, look, thank you very much. I appreciate your interest in this, but you shouldn't be doing this. I mean, I honestly think the Prime Minister would sort of give that message Hmm. that it's not really okay or appropriate uh, for that sort of direct interest in New Zealand affairs to be shown. Um, And that, you know, we've got our own local representative, we've got our own, you know, person who channels the Crown into our system, and you can come and have your little visits and be interested in us while you're visiting, but otherwise keep your nose out of it. I suppose... I, I suppose I,
0: just as a hypothetical, even as a you know as a thought experiment, though
1: mm. the
0: the it it just seems to kind of I guess express arguably the absurdity of a setup where we have sure. someone who by a fluke of birth has oh, yeah. even if not exercised, even if you're almost certainly right that that would be rebuffed, it's still mm. there, it's still written down, mm. and it's still mm. power, isn't it? Yeah. Well, look,
1: I mean, you know. If we had a blank slate, right, if we had a blank page Mm. and we were trying to work out, you know, how would you set New Zealand's system of government, et cetera, up,
2: there's
1: no way we would do it today to say that our head of state will be who happens, whoever happens to have come out of, excuse me if this offends of your listeners, who happens to come out of a woman's vagina in a particular order will be the head of state, right? I mean, we go, okay, that's just madness. We're not going to do that. But... That's the system that we've inherited and kind of, with all constitutions and set up, there's kind of a past dependency, right? Once you've got something in place and you're used to something and that something's gone on, you know, you tend to stick with it unless you've got really good reasons to want to switch. And the really good reasons for wanting to switch, you know, the whole Republican debate is hmm. that, you know, having someone sitting in a palace on the other side of the world, in theory, our sovereign and in theory in charge of our entire system of government, is ridiculous. And if we're a true, proud nation, Aotearoa New Zealand in the South Pacific in the 21st century, we ought to have that person being a New Zealander who is based here in New Zealand. That just works for, that makes much, much more sense. Mm. And so you've got kind of a, you know, a knockdown, unarguable, symbolic kind of argument. Like if we're a modern, independent nation, our people should be in charge of us versus a kind of, yeah, but look, we've done it the other way for a long time, and it's worked pretty well, and, you know, we kind of like the feel that we've got, you know, this connect back to the United Kingdom, and, I mean, Liz was great. She worked really, really well, and Charles might be, you know what I mean? Hmm. So that's the clash, I think, that really underlies the Republican debate, much more so than any kind of real political or real power dynamics. Um, and yeah, yeah. So that, and in a sense, that what makes that's what makes it almost quite a hard one to have because you've got an argument about people's sympathies or people's yeah. attachment to symbols yeah. or a, a, you know, those sort of things that you're you're having to address.
0: And we'll find out, I suppose, that because that sentiment that you describe, that 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 sort of sentimentality, that attachment, mm-hmm. that vibe, if you will, is a lot to do with a woman who has enormous mm-hmm. gravitas, Sure. who has been on the throne for more than most of us have been on the earth <laughs> and, uh, you know, has by almost by almost every assessment performed exceptionally. Uh, as you say, tough gig for the new guy, the young fellow, yeah. uh, the firstborn. <laughs> um, we've seen already Barbados recently moved to yeah. become a republic. Jamaica, I think, is on, on the way there. Yeah. Australia... Recently appointed an assistant minister for a republic. There, are, mm. you know, it's 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 fashionable for leaders to, including I think Jacinda Ardern, to say. I imagine we will become a republic in our lifetime. Was it? Mm. I'm I'm not sure whether it was Keating who had a republican streak, or someone, or, or other mm. Australian leaders who've said they, they 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 couldn't imagine becoming a republic when Elizabeth was on the throne. Well. Mm. You know that what what's sure. striking about that is what it doesn't say, right? Yep. Um, so, I guess if you entertain the possibility that that might happen, what 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 would what would we need to replace it with? Because we can't just get we can't just cut that cord and, and be done with it. Not with just, especially not when we've just got one house of parliament. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean it's, that that I think is fifty four thousand dollars question, right? I mean on the one hand it's pretty easy to say let's just have a New Zealander or our head of state mm. but once you start to parse that out into uh, both what it means technically in legal terms but also uh, practically in terms of you know, just for instance how you go about choosing them and issues like that, mm. things start to get slightly more gnarly. Um, I mean one one issue of course that also lies in the back of it uh, all is uh, the question of Cheturiti mm. and you know what, if you are cutting that link with the British monarch and the crown as we understand it in that sort of 19th century colonial sense. Yes. Oh, you know what, how does that work? Now, I think there are answers to all of that. Um, They're probably not totally straightforward. Like, I mean, there's some argument that you just basically get rid of the idea of the sovereign and just make the governor general our head of state. And, you know, so the Governor-General is the sovereign's representative, rather than maybe the sovereign's representative, you just say, they are the head of state, yeah. and they get to do everything that the sovereign would do. That would be a really sort of quickish, easiest way to do it, but still be uh, some issues that we'd have to consider and some questions we'd have to consider around... Um, uh, you know, what that then makes the Governor General into and in their, their sort of powers and whether we're comfortable with them holding all those powers. Mm. It would also raise the question of how you choose who that is. I mean, I think having the Prime Minister just being able to choose whoever they want wouldn't fly. Mm. But, you know, do we then get Parliament to elect by a supermajority or something that could be dealt with and so on? I think there'll be more... Intense question would be: once you start to talk about creating a republic and redefining our understanding of ourselves as a nation, you're going to open up at least the possibility of debates about much wider constitutional changes. And, okay, if we're no longer, you know, this link to the United Kingdom and we're no longer a sort of ex-colony living down in the South Pacific, but our own independent nation, well, are we a completely bicultural, bidural nation? Uh, you know what is the role of Māori, What is the role of Tetariti and so on in our constitution, etc.? Yeah, yeah. And those are the big questions that, frankly, governments get really. Far. I mean, you think the discussion around uh, um, uh, co-governance is a problem? You yeah. know, try picking that up one more level, and and these things,
0: these things already tend to quite often take years and years and years, and kind of end up in a filing cabinet, don't they? So it's got to have a kind of... You'd have to have a will and a drive, that sort of energy behind it to make something happen, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, to be honest, what you'd need is someone like a Jeffrey Palmer, for those who've got a, you know, a mindset going back uh, a little while, someone who really, really cares about the stuff, really, really wants to push it through and has the political sort of manner to be able to actually do so. Sort of, um,
0: sort of already has, hasn't it, he?
1: So, well... <laughs> He did a lot, but he you know yeah. he, didn't, he didn't
0: get he didn't get everything he wanted. <laughs> Maybe he'd come back for a second. Go. Oh well, I mean he did all the work. I just I'm not sure he got that much at all. Just just just, just touching yeah. uh, again on that point that you raise about Tetsudeti. Um, yeah. The the all, m- most of that that, that idea that, the 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 signing was between uh, British representative of the crown and yep. tangata whenua or Ewe, yep. right? And that is a thing that has to – how you stitch that back together in a new system is critical.
1: Yes. So, I mean, the, the, we have this nebulous concept within our constitution called the crowd. Yeah. So we have this thing called the crowd, um, which means a whole lot of different things uh, and, and when it's used in different ways. And so, of course, the the is signed between the Crown and the various the various uh, we signatories uh, of Māori. Um, once you make the cut between, you know, New Zealand and the United Kingdom, it would be weird if we kept referring to things as the Crown. Yeah. It would be weird to still have the Crown as somehow representing New Zealand society or state. So we'd have to get a new concept. We'd have to have something new to replace that. And would it be? New Zealand state would it be the New Zealand people, would it be, you know, so we'd have to, we need, need to find a different way to sort of talk about the collective nature of the country uh, in legal terms, and what exactly that would look like, again, is insurmountable, I mean, plenty of other places have, you know, had these sort of debates and moved through it, but it is still a debate and something we've worked through.
0: Thank you very much, Andrew Geddes. You are you are officially our royal correspondent for the spinoff now. Among your other accolades, just quickly, you're That's on wonderful. you're on a, on the, the the government appointed panel to to review electoral law. Uh, Indeed. Do you think you could just sneak in there, become a republic? Just just sort of chuck it in there <laughs> somewhere, like in a footnote, and just so that it kind of gets gone pushed through with something else.
1: Major constitutional changes out of scope for that uh, particular just enterprise. A,
0: just asking I for a fun call. night. Hey, great to chat. <laughs> Talk again yeah, soon. Yeah.
2: You too. Take
0: Cheers. care. Bye bye. Kia ora, e Te Awi. Kia, here Butler here, podcast manager at the Spin-Off.